Welcome to the Nursing Home 411 podcast by the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. I'm your host, Eric Goldwine, and on this episode, I'm joined by research scientist and vaccine guru, Beth Niven. You might remember Beth from our January podcast and webinar programs on the safety and efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines. Though we're almost a year into the rollout, there are still many nursing home staff who've yet to receive the vaccine. That's where Beth comes in. As a consultant for the New York City Department of Health, Beth has been conducting vaccination information sessions, both in-person and virtually, for staff at nursing homes in New York City. In this interview, she's going to share some of her experiences talking to staff at these facilities and also give us a rundown on the latest research and data on vaccines in the Delta variant. Note that this is a fluid situation and the data, research, and policy are all moving quickly. Some of the specific numbers mentioned in this interview, recorded September 9th, might be a little outdated by the time you press play, but the larger themes should remain relevant long past publication. Hope you enjoy. Here's our music by Silverman Sound Studios. Welcome back, Beth. You're our first repeat podcast guest. We're happy to have you again. Uh, When we spoke back in January, you discussed the science behind the COVID vaccinations, uh, the science behind mRNA technology, safety, efficacy, and how that might apply to the long-term care population. Now, I understand you've been speaking directly with staff in many New York nursing homes of late, and we're going to get to hear about your experiences speaking with staff. But first, can you give us a rundown on what's going on with nursing home vaccination rates and with the Delta variant? So right now, the vaccination rates among staff is somewhere above 70%. And for residents, it's way up in the 80%, but there's really quite a range. The range is by borough and by facility. So you have some boroughs, let's say Brooklyn is a little bit lower than the citywide average. And you have within facilities, the range goes from, for both for staff, something like 50% vaccination to almost 100%, which is unbelievable. And for residents, it also goes from the low 80% to the high 90%. So there's quite a range, there's some facilities, and these are the ones that I've been going to where there are a lot more what we call vaccine hesitant people. um, And those are the ones that we're trying to target. And these are, interestingly enough, the same facilities that I went to to give my flu talks years ago. There appear to be some facilities who historically seem to have a low vaccine uptake for both flu and now for COVID. Not quite clear why. I'm not, I really don't know. So again, I seem to be going back to the same places and meeting people that have a variety of interesting barriers as to why they're not getting uh, COVID vaccine. And again, I haven't been out in a facility in about two weeks because I've been busy the holidays. So I don't really know if those numbers have changed. The numbers that I have are about a week or two old. So it could be that the facilities that had a 50% or so uptake um, have been inching up, but I'm not sure. 
Mm-hmm. And your and to clarify, your work focuses on New York City facilities, correct? Right, New York City nursing right. homes. Um, we're also going out to other congregate settings, but we're really right now trying to reach out to nursing homes because of the vaccine mandate. And again, I don't really know what that vaccine mandate is going to look like, but we do know that having gone to nursing homes just in the past couple of weeks, people are getting very upset, even angry about the whole issue of a mandate. So our goal right now is to go out and just try to mollify them a little bit. Right. And I have the language put up here. The mandate requires nursing homes that take Medicare and Medicaid to vaccinate their staff against COVID-19 and Medicaid is the primary payer for nursing home care in the U.S. So this would apply to most facilities, but we're still uh, in the early stages of this. Now, what about Delta? Uh, I've read different things, probably with varying degrees of accuracy about the COVID vaccines and their protection against the Delta variant. What are we seeing there in nursing homes? Right. Um, so, you know, right now we, um, we're, I think about 98% of all the COVID infections are caused by Delta. So we know that Delta is really, it's here in a big way and it's really changed the landscape and part of Delta, we're seeing what they call vaccine breakthroughs, people who have been fully vaccinated that are still getting, testing positive for COVID, getting COVID infection, some getting hospitalized and a rare number of deaths. So Delta is, as we, we believe, much more transmissible than the previous variants. So one thing I, I hear a lot when I go to nursing homes is people say, I don't know why I need the vaccine. COVID has been around for a year and a half. I have yet to get COVID. I wear a mask. I protect myself. I've done everything right and I've been protected so far. So I don't need the vaccine. And I tell those people, you haven't gotten COVID yet because Delta is so much transmissible. People who've been doing the right thing may still have the ability to get COVID because people don't always do the right thing always. But in terms of where it really counts, which is severe illness, hospitalizations, and God forbid death, uh, the, the vaccines are still really protective, even in the face of Delta. And that protection, we see that among the hospitalizations and deaths that are occurring right now, about 98% of hospitalizations and deaths are occurring among the unvaccinated. So people will say, well, that means that two or 3% are occurring among the vaccinated, but those numbers are really, really small. Um, somebody once asked of all the people that are vaccinated, how many of those are progressing to hospitalizations and deaths. And this is something that came out in one of the New York City Department of Health um, press releases that the percent of fully vaccinated people who are being hospitalized is 0.02%. And the percent of fully vaccinated people who are dying are 0.003%. So you have something like a one in 10,000 chance of getting hospitalized um, having been fully vaccinated and one out of 30,000 chance of dying. So don't focus on the fact that you can still get COVID, can still test positive after being fully vaccinated. Focus on the fact that you are going to get really, really great protection against being really ill, getting hospitalized, and God forbid, dying. I'm going to present a, a hypothetical. Staff member A, vaccinated, gets infected with COVID, but is asymptomatic. And then their staff member B, not vaccinated, gets infected with COVID and is also asymptomatic. Would the vaccinated staff 
uh, be more likely to spread it than the un than the unvaccinated staff? This is not official data, but something that I've been reading that initially the vaccine unvaccinated have a similar viral load, but the vaccinated has a decrease much quicker, so they will spread it less. Okay, great. And my hypothetical was for asymptomatic, but I- oh, asymptomatic. So again, asymptomatic people also seem to have a viral load. I don't really know enough about that, but I just know that looking at viral loads in both vaccinated and unvaccinated, the load, the viral load decreases. I'm not sure if that's true. I'm not sure how the difference between asymptomatic and symptomatic, because again, asymptomatic do carry a viral load. Okay. Now we're going to talk about, you've been going into facilities in some cases, you've been doing virtual presentations at facilities, but I got the chance to hear about some of your experiences and I'm going to start with the more challenging uh, experiences you've had. Uh, then after that, I'm going to ask you about maybe a success story. So one of the stories that came to mind, it was a story where um, you brought up the role of culture and leadership and how that might impact vaccination rates. So there, there was a facility where you were giving a presentation and I believe it was the administrator as you were giving the pre- presentation brought up an example of maybe a friend or someone they knew where vaccination was not effective or yeah, can you, can you explain what happened better than I can? Um, Okay. So it was director of nursing. Yeah. So I went to a facility where the vaccine rate was really pretty low and no, I had the same barriers. People want to know what, how did the vaccine get made so fast? What's it, what's it going to do to me? And the director of nursing attended each of my sessions and she brought up the fact that her, one of her friends had gotten the vaccine in July and had developed paralysis for the neck down. And a week later, that paralysis still persisted. So again, there are some very, very rare adverse reactions. The paralysis it could have been Guillain-Barre syndrome. We don't really know. There was no diagnosis made for this person. But she brought this up several times as um, something to watch out for. So people say, oh, you see, you get the COVID vaccine and things happen to you. Well, there are some very, very rare adverse reactions. And when those adverse reactions occur and there seem to be a commonality, you will hear about it because the press also was looking at adverse reactions. And I was telling people that it's kind of a transparent thing, mechanism, that when people get COVID vaccine or any vaccine and they have any kind of adverse reactions, they or their provider can go on a public website called VAERS vaccine adverse event response system that's run by CDC and they can report an adverse reaction. And there are people who monitor those adverse reactions and they try to see if there's a commonality and they try to see if that commonality is really related, attributable to the vaccine. And that's how we heard about clotting in women, which which happened, which um, resulted in a pause in the administration of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine We've heard about myocarditis in young men. So we hear about some of these. And Guillain-Barre syndrome, this paralysis, is something that's also being looked at. So this director of nursing said this. And um, so I said to her afterwards, you know, I, I, I don't really understand. You're, you're telling me that this happened a week ago, but this is already August. The vaccine's been out since January. So this could not have been your reason for not getting the vaccine up till now. And she said, no, the reason is that the mRNA vaccine, something the government did not allow 
to be made into a vaccine. And I just didn't understand what she said. She said the government refused to have the vaccine manufacturers make mRNA into a vaccine. So I quickly ran to the computer to try to get a paper to show that this was not the case. And then we just began to talk about it. Again, people read things. Um, they don't know where they read it, but they read things that are kind of weird and obscure. And this was her barrier. So I asked her whether she whether she thought that her not getting the vaccine had an impact, a trickle down to her staff. And she said, no, absolutely not. The staff did not know that I hadn't gotten the vaccine, even though in these talks that I gave with a lot of people there, she made it clear that she was very, very sort of not in favor of the vaccine. So we talked about it. We talked about her friend. Um, and by the end of my day there, she had gotten the vaccine. I'm not sure what it was about what I said that that um, made her get it. But I, there are all these different issues. The fact that here she was, director of nursing, at these meetings, again, bringing up this issue of her friend with a paralysis. And that if you go into a facility with either the administrator or the director of nursing are not on board with vaccination, people know about it. Whether it's, it's voiced explicitly or not, people will know that the buy-in isn't there from on top and they will act accordingly. So in this facility, I don't know what happened after I left, but in this facility, when the director of nursing herself is not getting the vaccine, that really impacts people at some level. Yeah, and this information and the behavior really travels through networks. So in that case, it may or may not be traveling more directly through the physical network of that facility. But I've also been reading about how it's spreading on social media, about how there's there's healthcare workers on TikTok who have a ton of followers. And if you find yourselves uh, watching those videos, um, then you might be more exposed to, I'll call it misinformation, disinformation, um, misleading information or maybe just more exposed to those one-off uh, low probability stories. Um, so, but it really, what I've seen it, it yeah, really, yeah, go ahead. Again, um, you know, sometimes people tell me I can't get the vaccine because my immune system is weak. And I'll say, well, have you discussed with a doctor? I don't have a doctor. So I will ask people, you know, you need somebody that you trust. It may not be me. You need somebody that you trust to, to guide you. You know, I don't know how many people have a primary care provider that they, they trust. And so sometimes when I've done one-on-one -on -one counseling, I'll walk through this with, with the person. Why do you think your immune system is weak? It just is. But can you give me an example of where you think it's weak? Um, and, you know, these people actually, some of them have had COVID and have not had a bad case. And I'll say, well, then your immune system is not that weak. Why do you keep saying that it's weak? You know, the, the whole issue of, tr of trust, again, you know, you're right, people get their sources from, I don't know where. I walked in somewhere and somebody just said immediately before I even started talking, it's a depopulation tool. So what does that mean? Well, everybody knows the vaccine is going to help depopulate the world. You know, where where did you hear that? I don't know, but I, it's, it's common knowledge. And I say, well, you know, it's not common knowledge to me. So could you just give me a source? Can you tell me where you found that? And yet people say, no, I heard it. I know it's true. So, you know, that that issue of where are people getting their sources and they're getting it from so many different, not valid. So when I give my talk, I tell people, I know that you've heard many things. I just want to tell you the things that I've heard from science and you 
can make a decision about where the more trusted information comes from. You know, I don't want to downplay anybody's belief system. You know, when I go into my talks, I really want to, and I try to be empathetic because people have a lot of really deeply held beliefs and I don't want to make it seem as I don't believe them because it's their beliefs. I just want to sort of try to figure out how to get those beliefs into a more scientific mode and just see if we can get some of those to jive or not. Um, But I really, I understand that people have a lot of fear, especially with a mandate. People say, it's my body. You can't tell me what to do with it. Um, I understand what they're doing. And I say, yeah, it is your body. And therefore you do have a choice. I'm not quite sure what that choice is now. Um, Is it a choice between the vaccine or your livelihood? I really don't know. But yeah, you always have a choice. Nobody's going to force you. They're not going to pin you down and make you get the vaccine. There's always a choice. It's just that that those choices might change over time. And I just want want you to think about um, what your choice is and how you come to it. And I was just speaking to a teacher yesterday who, and teachers, it's my understanding, at at least in public schools, perhaps all schools, but uh, there is vaccine mandates in um in schools and she was she seemed she was upset about it she uh, mentioned it's like i don't like being the government forcing this into me my body my choice and with that being said she she mentioned that her friend's a pharmacist and she's gonna go to her friend to get the shot so there's this issue of trust and it it might only take a one person you trust to um convince you to get the vaccine or to convince you to accept it or not necessarily be thrilled about it see that's why we have a train the trainer program and a vaccine champion the best source of information is really your peers you really want to get people in the facility people that you know to talk about their vaccine experiences and so we do have um, a program where we train people in the facility to be able to impart information and really try to develop a core of what we call vaccine champions. This is our long-held strategy. We want to get people just like you, demographically, in terms of work, everything, to tell their stories and tell you why they got the vaccine and why they think it's good for you. So that definitely is going on right now. We have, um, I don't know how many people have been in the train the trainer program, but definitely every nurse home is, is encouraged, uh, identify a group of people to act as vaccine champions. And when I give my talks um, on Zoom, we try to get at the end people who, who've gotten the vaccine to tell their stories about why they did get the vaccine. And people talk about seeing, you know, having older love, older loved ones in their in their vicinity and trying to protect them or younger children who can't get the vaccine. So it's really important to get um, these COVID champions in every facility to speak to the peers. It's really, it's ongoing now. Uh, We're trying to get more people involved in that. Okay. And uh, one more success story, I'll call it the 3%, the 3% story. Can you tell me about the the staff member that that said, I can live with a 3% chance of getting COVID? Right. So people don't understand data. And I mean, I'm not a big data person myself, but somebody asked me what the percent positivity was in New York City. And I said, well, you know, that also varies as a huge range. But I said, overall, in New York City at that time, the percent positivity was 3%. And she said, I can live with a 3% chance of getting COVID. 
I said, I don't really think you understand what that means. It just means that of the people tested that day, 3% were positive and 97% were not. But it doesn't really mean anything for you. You know, people who work in nursing homes, despite wearing a mask, they are um, at risk of being exposed. Um, people from residents who come in from facility who might've tested negative at the facility, but might test positive soon upon entrance into the nursing home. They're exposed to other staff people, they're exposed to visitors. Um, they might let their guard down. They might not always be wearing a mask. They might be not wearing a mask the right way. So people in nursing homes, they really have a greater risk of getting exposed than people like me say who work from home a lot. And then people have it, depending on, on how they interact with other people during the course of the day, um, depending on where they live, they might have a chance of running into people with COVID in the store, on the subway. So, so it doesn't only mean that you have a, you, this person I was talking to, has a 3% chance of getting COVID. Your chance of COVID really varies due to your exposure. So again, it's not just my talk that's going to make a difference. It's really going to be people around, people hearing other people in their own facilities, especially people at the top. So most of the places I go to, the, the administrator, the medical director, the director of nursing really want this to happen. So they really show that they're clearly anxious to get people vaccinated. And again, I, I always tell people the vaccine, it's not that we're giving it to you without any reason. We're giving it to you to protect you, to protect your family. We try to make it clear that we really do care about them. We care about their welfare. You know, we care about the welfare of the residents as well, but it's, it's a package deal. They need to, to be protected as well as the residents. And that can only happen with the, when the vaccine rates go up for both groups of people. Right. And it, I, it's taken, it shouldn't have taken me this long to get, to get to this question, but the staff vaccination rates have a direct effect on the well-being of residents in that it can well, start with the virus itself. There can be transmission from staff to resident, whether it's a vaccinated resident or an unvaccinated resident. Some uh, some residents might not have the ability to get the vaccine or might not be qualified. So they're at high risk. It affects visitation um, right. in that if there's a positive case, then um, in some facilities, there might be more visitation restrictions, whether, um, whether they're following the federal mandates or, or not. And then it will affect staff staffing levels. So if there's a uh, if there's infections among staff, then there will be less RNs, less CNAs, less LPNs right, exactly. to care for the residents. We follow positive cases, trying to look in nursing homes among residents, trying to see exposure, and sometimes the only exposure uh, seems to be a healthcare worker. So there is transmission. I mean, right now, thank God, it's a lot less than it was, but there is transmission between um, healthcare workers and residents. So it's true that the vaccination of healthcare workers does impact the facility in, in different ways. We're going to close this off as per tradition um, with a recommendation. With we're, we're only going to do a non-long-term care recommendation. Now, I know you got a, a long flight coming up to Israel uh, th 
this weekend? So you might have a book, a movie you're going to watch. Is there anything you're, you're thinking about right now? Well, um, when I was giving these talks at nursing homes, people felt so stressed out. We always, we have a mental health resource that we always like to publicize because people are just feeling so much stress at the fact that COVID isn't going away. And I feel that stress too, even though I'm home a lot. And for me, um, I have to be physical. So during COVID, starting from the very beginning, I've been either walking or swimming every day. And I really, we urge people to take care of the mental health and find a distraction for them. It may not be physical. Uh, I think phys- for me, physical really seems to work and I do it early in the morning. So the rest of the day, I'm a little bit calmer. Great. Well, thank you so much to our vaccine guru. If it were up to me, we would never need to talk to you about COVID, COVID again, but I fear uh, this is going to be with us uh, for a while. We got boosters to talk about. Uh, there's, there's more variants uh, a lot is, yeah. is with us and um, we're grateful for your ability to walk us through what's happening.